Yes, yes, Amethyst, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 I got you. No doubt, no doubt. Ladies and gents, welcome to Ambi Podcast. I want to say thanks to everybody that's been supporting season one all the way to five. And this will be our episode, season five, episode four. And um, I'm very delighted every time I, I come across new artists in San Diego, um, California. The, the music scene out here is definitely bubbling and there's a lot of great talent. And me doing shows in different venues, I get I get a chance to come across different personalities like managers. And this is how I came across this next artist. I met the manager first by the name of Amanda. And the name of the uh, management team is called I Am Management. And this artist right here is a part of her roster of clients that she's managing right now. And he is a vocalist, a songwriter, a recording artist, and a guitarist. And without no further ado, ladies and gents, we got Amethyst in the house. What's up, man? Hey, what's good? What's good, brother, man? Thanks for taking the time to do this podcast. I appreciate it. No doubt. Can you hear me good? Am I getting cut? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can hear you fine. Dope, dope. So, yo, Amethyst, I ask all my guests, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Michigan and uh, grew up in... Shot when I was a kid, and um, mom moved us down to Atlanta. <coughs> okay, so you were born in um, Michigan, but you grew up in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, but I, I lived in Michigan until I was about twelve, and then uh, kind of did uh, all the fun growing up in Atlanta. Yeah. Nice. Which one do you like better, Michigan or ATL? I mean, either one of them, really. But, you know, if I had to pick between the two, I'd have to say Atlanta. It's a lot nice, warmer. Nice. Uh, was there a particular reason why your parents moved you to ATL? Uh, Hello? Parents. Uh, uh, can you hear me? Yo, Amethyst, Hello? is your connection? You're, you're getting cut a lot. Do you have a good connection where you're at? Um, no, I got, got a pretty good connection. Yes. All right, cool. I All can right. hear you, but some every now and then you get chopped up. But um, I was gonna say, gotcha. was there a particular reason why um your parents moved you to ATL from, from Michigan? Yeah, my mom's parents lived in Atlanta. Nice. So. Um, growing up, what was like your earliest recollections of music? Was it was music played in the house? Was mom and dad musicians? What was like your earliest influences or or exposure to music? Um, I mean, we used to, to live when I was really, really young. I mean, they used to play music uh, around the house, but uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was just a baby. I couldn't have been more than like three or four. So um, my mom, she sang a lot of gospel music and that was just her thing, especially like on the weekends when she'd be cleaning up to just be walking around. And that's what got me really good at singing because whatever she was singing, she would always sing the harmony to it so I got really good at singing and harmonizing and you know my mom saw I had a love for music um, so when I was six years old she put me in uh, piano lessons at the church and then um, for my seventh birthday she bought me my first four track recorder wow. and uh, since then I've been since I was seven I've been mixing mastering and recording I was kind of the hood studio for a minute and you know just always been in it like that that's awesome bro um uh, vocally, like vocal wise, who was like your first influences as far as like R and B, or or just singing in general? 
Um, singing in general, I had to say uh, I was really into like Babyface, Jodeci, nice. Boys to Men. Um, I grew up, you know, I was always in chorus in school, so I was always in a singing group. So um, I've been in several different singing groups, you know, covering like Boys to Men style songs, all the coolie high harmony stuff and you know stuff like that and then later i started getting into more oldies you know ray charles otis redding you know stuff like that around what age did you pick up the guitar uh i first picked up the guitar maybe about 15 years ago i've been playing keys mostly so guitar never really made sense to me because I was like, you know, with keys, you got all of these different instruments, you know, that you could have with you. So, I mean, I picked it up and kind of doodled around on it. But I really started playing, playing um, about seven years ago when I first came out here to California. Okay, so you've been in Cali for seven years. Yeah, 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 yeah. I came out here uh, seven years ago. Nice. What, what made you come out here to Cali? Um, I went through a really bad divorce myself. And, um, you know, messed up situation with my ex-wife. I couldn't spend time with my oldest three kids. I had a younger son and his mom had moved out here. So I came out here to be around the kid I could spend time with. And um, kind of like I said, just kind of refresh my head. But things kind of went sideways when I first got out here. And I ended up homeless out at Venice Beach for like three years. For so real? that's when I first started because you know I was homeless somebody came by one day gave me a guitar just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life I was sitting down just kind of playing and singing a song that I learned you know years earlier and uh, somebody walked up and gave me a 20 and um, at that point I was just like oh snap I can get paid for doing this so yeah. that kind of became my regiment you know every day you know I had a 24-hour fitness account you know I get up in the morning go to 24-hour fitness shower up you know, grab my guitar and stuff like that and head for the beach, play all day, you know, make 50, 60 bucks, you know, and then do the same thing again every day. And because I had to play to eat, you know, play to make money, it just kept me doing it every day. And I started getting really good. You know, the biggest tip that I've ever gotten from someone so far is $1,150 in wow. Little Italy about ago a guy came up first he gave me 400 and then he hit me back two days later and gave me another 750 so wow that had single tip you know and street musician that i've uh done i ended up getting off uh being homeless at venice beach i was out there jamming one day well actually i was actually doing pretty good each um that was owned by one of the restaurants that I used to play in front of. So they gave me a real good rate. Then COVID hit and everything closed. And I ended up sleeping on the beach again for a minute for like three days after, you know, everything is shut down. And um, I just happened to be out there playing one rough day. It rained that night. I was soaking wet. I was pissed off. I wasn't going to play anymore. And something told me just to play. So I got my guitar, went and sat on the boardwalk, started playing. And, uh, you know, my homie for show, you know, walked up. I didn't know him at the time. Him and his girlfriend was really digging my guitar and told me I needed to meet somebody. You know, they took me around to one of their partners who had a music studio that was in really bad disarray. So I rebuilt this studio, you know, consulted him, told him what kind of gear to get. 
did all of his acoustic treatments for him and he gave me a job as head engineer you know and then yeah. I was doing that until I started working in the Red Room Nice. Are you still in LA right now, or are you in San Diego? I'm in San Diego full time now. Okay, so what? So uh, when you when, when you first came out to Cali, you went straight to Venice, or you went straight to SD first, then Venice? Um, no, no. I was I was in LA full time, you know, and then like oh, I said, I just ended up out of Venice. I migrated toward Venice because, you know, that's that's kind of like your options in LA. You could be in the hood. You could be in Venice so I went out of Venice you know met a couple of cool homies you know got cool with some of the locals out there and that was just you know my vibe nice when did you come out to SD when did you start relocating to to San Diego um one of oh hold on one second can you hear me yeah hello Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought it broke up. Um, one of the musicians that I used to jam with out in uh, Los Angeles, he had come down here. And I mean, he had disappeared for a couple of weeks. Nobody kind of saw him and knew where he was. So I was worried about him. I hit him up on Instagram and he hit me back, told me he was down in San Diego and said, you know, it would be in my best bet to come down there and check it out. Um, yeah. Prior to that, I was just Venice Beach had gotten real, real bad. I mean, really? you know, I was out there. Yeah, man. The seven years I've been out there, I've been shot at twice. I got stabbed in the back of the neck with a bomb. Right before I left Venice to come down to San Diego, I was out there playing one day. Got into it with a tweaker. He came back and hit me upside the back of the head with a baseball bat. Damn. Bro. So it was just an all that just trying to play music, <laughs> bro. Like, you know, for real. So, you know, and he told me about San Diego. I came down here, came to Ocean Beach, met up with him and immediately fell in love. Um, Hell yeah. Well, welcome know. to San Diego, bro. When did you get here? When, when did you get to SD? Seven months ago. Um, I don't know the wow. exact date. Wow. I just came down here seven months ago. So, yeah, it was like going from Atlanta to LA. I mean, it was that drastic of a difference. San Diego's just a so much doper vibe. Oh, thank you, man. Nice, nice. Yo, welcome to San Diego. You know what I'm saying? Seven months is still fairly short. Wow. Let me, yo, yeah, dog, yeah, I got so true. much. I got to admit, when I spoke to Amanda, I didn't know any background story. And that's good for me because it's good for me to know the background story and hear it for myself. Like, I got so much respect for you, bro. Um, coming from someone... Um, me experiencing homelessness before I know how that is I know how it is to be homeless I know how it is to, to have nowhere to go so I give you so much respect bro you're a survivor you, you feel me fam you hear me oh yeah I'm a grinder man shoot that's, you're that's a survivor, what I'm getting bro. I give you so much props man keep your head up man God, God got good plans for people like us who, who fight through it you know yeah, yeah, that's that's what got me. It's funny, this journey was all a spiritual one. It started on that, man. I didn't know, you know, what was going on. I was missing my kids. I was dealing with all the court shit with my ex-wife and all of that. You know, I was like trying to straighten all that out. And it all started with raising the question to God, you know, what is faith? And, you know, he showed me the long way. You know, faith is not worrying about nothing. Faith is knowing that no matter what your situation is, you know, God got you, man. I would go to sleep most of the time with pennies in my pocket, wake up the next day, play some guitar, and eat a cheesecake factory that night. 
I mean, that was right. just kind of the, you know, the run. You know, I may have been homeless, but I always had bread in my pocket. Always kept myself clean, kept my face shaved, all of that. So no, in my business like that, it's just, you know, became part of my story. Nice, nice. Let me ask you this, dog. Um, as far as like songwriting, what kind of mood do you have to be in to, to write a song or... Or like, how do you approach songwriting, or just coming up with melodies in your head? What up? What up? Yeah, yeah. Um, songwriting now it's it's kind of evolved over the years, man. You know, I used to be mostly like a studio engineer, you know, slash producer, and I go back and forth. You know, sometimes I'm creative, sometimes I'm just in a studio engineer mode, and I'm recording people and tracking in stuff. So um, now. It's like the studio is too slow. I'm a loop artist, so I use uh, a loop station, um, my beat machines and stuff like that. So now, like, the best way to come up with stuff for me is freestyle. Um, that's how I was making $300 a day out of Venice Beach, man. I had a two-track looper, beatbox the beat, play some guitar chords, and make up a whole song on the spot. And it's like, that's it. when I'm my best element right now because by the time I've created a beat, And I sit and I listen to the beat to write something, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I'm already sick of the beat. So if I make people buy it and, you know, do whatever I'm going to do to it, you know, I get burned out on the beat just listening to it. So now pretty much most of the stuff I do, you know, is all kind of freestyle in real time. I love it. That's sick. Um, I got to ask, bro. I got I got to ask. I, I remember the hard days. I remember the, you know, um, What did you learn about yourself being homeless? What are some of the things you learned about you, like what you're capable of and what what you're built out of, you know? Um, like I said, Venice Beach is a trip. Um, you know, I'm Ooh. a I've learned that I'm really, really tough before I got out to Venice Beach, you know, I was working in corporate America. So I mean, you know, the last fist fight, you know, that I gotten into was in my high school days. Um So, I mean, just, you know, as a grown up being put in situations like that with people trying to rob you, you know, attack you, I've learned my limits. You know, I've definitely got in, you know, some squabs and, you know, you know, I, I learned that I'm really not to be messed with, you know, as far as on a physical tip, I learned my limits. Um, you know, I also learned, you know, faith and how not to be scared of nothing before that whole experience. I was scared to be broke. I was literally, I, I would be terrified if I, I let digital numbers on my cell phone or in an account dictate how I felt about stuff. You know, mm. not flat broke. I ain't worried about it. You know, I kind of see myself as a walking ATM. All I got to do is go and sit down somewhere and just be my beautiful self and play some music. You know, I'm gonna have bread in my pocket. So, you know, and that's kind of what I learned. And that faith, you know, right there, knowing that, you know, God's got you. That was God's answer. That's what faith is. Quit worrying about it. And just know that whatever you need is going to be there. But that was like the biggest lesson that I took away from that. Mm. With all the hardships you've been through in Cali, like with, with all the hardships, right? Like like the stuff that you've been through. Like, mm. did you ever think about, fuck it, I'm going to just go back to ATL? Or, or, or were you like, nah, hell no, nah, I don't make it work in Cali no matter what it takes? Like, was there moments where you're like, fuck this, I'm going I'm to get out of here and go back? I mean, going back to Atlanta, um, you know, was was never an option. You know, when I left Atlanta, you know, I I left some things behind. I got rid of everything in my apartment. Um, it's funny. I actually left to watch a movie, the never-ending story. And it's like, 
that gave me the message for the journey I was going on. It told me I couldn't take no weapons, so I had to leave all the burners behind. You know, I let my brother <laughs> and everything, which was something I was sorely regretting a couple of times at Venice Beach. But you know, it was good because yeah, yeah. in the situations, yeah. otherwise, good, you know, good choice, good choice. Up. That's a good choice. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, with all of that, you know, I learned my limits. So, you know, and I mean, at this point, I ain't scared of nothing. To catch a fate with someone bigger than me, I'm not scared of being broke. You know, it's just like it, it alleviated my fears. You know, so I mean, I wouldn't change. I mean, it was, it was, there was some hard nights, especially when it got cold, and, you know, or it started raining or something like that. It was some hard nights, but um, I wouldn't change none of it because I mean, it completely retrained me to do what. I definitely like. I can definitely relate to your story, man. Amethyst, thanks for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Um, it takes a lot, ladies and gents. It takes a lot out of a man to to lose things and be homeless. And I think it teaches us humility. It, it teaches us to be grateful, you know, because we know how it is to be to be in the bottom, to be in the dirt, you know. So we appreciate everything we got coming to us um let me ask you this man uh what's your thoughts on on the music industry in in 2022 how do you see the music industry is it is it something that yeah (laughs) is it something that you want to get into or something that you look at with disdain you know what i'm saying um, I'm, I'm going a different way with how yeah. I'm doing my music and how I'm releasing it. When people say the music industry, that's what's the, that's the problem with it. It be, has become an industrialized process. Mm-hmm. And it is just that, a music industry. You know, when I was in college, um, I went to Art Institute. And I mean, I, in the music production program, I interned for LaFace Records and I interned for Dungeon Family. And nice. just kind of seeing the inside, you know, I've met some celebrities. I've met Quincy Jones, Tony Braxton, TLC, you know, T-Boss, Tilly, and Left Eye. You know, the only one that was really cool with me was Left Eye. Um, you know, wow. out of it, snobbish attitudes and their ways. I watched how, you know, Pebbles and, you know, L.A. was really taking advantage of people and ripping people off. Really? Damn. You know, no. my thing, you know, my whole vibe is, you know, teaching and spirit also shaman and reiki healer you know so that's more of what i'm getting back to even what i do now i play jazz over my hip-hop beats and my trap beats and stuff like that and everybody loves it because it's a vibe and people this that this day and age just want to chill and relax and know how to you know pull their mind in so you know the music is just a vessel it's an avenue right now it's making me money most people that are in the studio and recording their work and everything else like that are trying to get to the point where their music pays them. Well, my music pays me every day. I go out, I come back with three or four hundred dollars every day when I go out and play. So, you know, that's just kind of, you know, it pays me. And so it's become my avenue. I want to get into public speaking and, you know, holding seminars and stuff like that. And to me, that's a lot more lucrative than, you know, trying to pit myself out you know to a record label something like that and it leaves me in the position where if i want to turn around you know and fund my own music and release my own music you know i can't i mean i ain't got to be huge i mean i ain't got to be competing with people you know that's 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 not my truck and labels got that one 
I love it, man. Um, what's your what, what's your first thoughts of Ocean Beach when you got to Ocean Beach? What up, Amethyst? Yo, yo. Can you hear me? I just connected to my Wi-Fi. I'm trying to make sure. It's all good. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you good. All right, so let's go back. Can you hear me? Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back real quick. Um, so you were saying that you got an internship at the Dungeon Family Studio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked out. Um, I interned there for five weeks and I interned at LaFace Records for three weeks so time out how, uh, how did back you land in the this was like in how did, day. so how did you land um, the internship at the Dungeon Family Studio um, I was working in telecommunications and uh, you know I was a contractor so it's like whenever the work ran out I was pretty much at Can you hear me? Yo, yo, can you hear me, bro? That I put together on um, one of the, you know, actually, yeah, can you hear me? Did I break Yeah, up? yeah, you be, kind of, but um, you're coming in and out, but it's all good. Yo, I don't know, this is, this is weird. All right, let me see if I keep it away from my head. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah, he was kind of a studio aficionado. And, um, you know, I ended up working with him a lot. And he Who's actually... This? Who, is Who is this? His name is Jay Greer. Okay. Yeah, he's built a lot of studios. I actually, me and him, I was working with him on a project. We built a studio in the basement of the house that left eye burned down. Oh, shit. At, uh, Andre Ryzen's house. <laughs> like three months prior to her setting that house on fire, we had just finished up. You know, about a sixty thousand dollar bill in the basement. Holy shit! So wait, but that's so how was... I got the internship. He's really connected in the industry, and right. you know, he pulled some strings for me. And how did you get hooked up with LaFace Records? Same thing. I got both internships through him. You know, he talked wow. to some people, and I got back up to the top of their waiting list. So, how was your dealings with Andre Harrell? Or was it him or Babyface that ran that? Um, it was. I, I I very rarely saw Babyface. I can count on one hand how many times I you know I saw Kenneth. Um, you know, L.A. Uh, he was around there mostly. I didn't see LA him a lot. Yeah. I I was with nobody. I dealt with the receptionist. As a matter of fact, I lost my internship at LaFace because of Tony Braxton. Um, you know, she, uh-huh. I came into a session that she was she was working with Quincy Jones. He wanted to teach me some things. You know, he engaged me, but there was a rule there that interns aren't supposed to talk to the celebrities. So she went and kind of snitched me out, and I ended up losing my internship. You know, really? my friend, you know, Jay was really pissed off about it. So he's the one who pulled some strings again, so I could get the internship at Dunham. Wow. So wait. Um... I like how you flex on us right now. I was like, yo, do you see Babyface? And you're like, no, I, I never see. I hardly saw Kenneth. I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn. Like, you're on the first name basis with them. Oh, that's awesome, dude. 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I can't even front. Like, you know, I, I was cool with them. Like, I really was a nobody. Like, I mean, that, that, right. that was part of the internship. The whole job was, you know, going into the lab, you know, seeing if anybody wanted drinks, you know, seeing if, you know, the car garbage needed to be taken out. You know, that's all an internship is. I know a lot of people think it's going to be some glorious experience, but no, nah, they really kind of treat you like it's an honor that you're just in the building. You know, I ain't even really learned anything, you know, except for the brief conversation that I had with Quincy Jones. Um, you know, he had showed me some of the tips and techniques that I use for mixing this day on an old school MML. So wait, you met Quincy Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Man, the producer, How- he's a dope dude. Wow. He's a dope dude. I don't know if um, you know some of the rumors going around is true, but he, you know, was cool with me. So, yeah. uh, what rumors are we talking about here for Quincy Jones? Like the stuff that he said about Michael? Um, no, nah, no, nah, just you know, industry stuff. You know, this is like you know, you listen to the rumor mill long enough, and they convince that everybody in the industry is gay. At some point, you know, and I've heard, you know, that from several people that asked me, oh, like, did he come on to you or nothing? I was like, nah, he was just a cool dude. Um, nice. You know, no funny business. I ain't, I don't have no weird celebrity stories or nothing like that. He was just a cool dude. You know, I appreciate the knowledge he gave me. And it's something that I still use when I'm mixing and mastering in the studio. What did he say? As far as, like, studio techniques. He taught me about... Uh, um, he taught me about busing. So one of the main techniques I use when I'm recording a project is I assign each of my artists to a specific bus. Instead of doing effects buses for everything, I send all of my artists to a bus and I use my bus fader to mix the volume levels in between my artists. It's also um, saves processing speed. I can put all my effects on my bus. So if I create another track, I don't have to re-EQ that track. Everything is already done unless I need to send an artist to a separate bus for something special. So it makes the mixing, mixing process really fast and efficient. And that makes a lot when you're you know, a professional studio engineer and you're going through projects all day long. You want to be as efficient as possible so you can get people in and out of there to make your break. That's awesome, bro. Um, let me ask you this. What's your favorite memory of Left Eye? Oh, man, just, um, you know, working with her at her house, you know, she was really excited, you know, to have her studio put together, Um, you know, she was down there asking a lot of questions, you know, just about the equipment, she was really engaged, and she was the first female who I've ever really seen engaged into knowing how things was plugged up and how things are routed, you know, what plugged into what input when we were setting up her patch bay, um, for her mixing board because we built the custom console for it that, you know, had a patch bay on the top. You know, we were showing her how to use the cross connects and everything else like that when she wanted to, you know, route stuff to specific inputs. And um, she had two Mackie DAB mixing consoles and um, that was a premier mixing console at the time with motorized faders and all of that. So just kind of giving her the walkthrough and then... Um, you know, I never knew that she was so artistically driven. You know, she's really a deep thinker and, you know, a creative being. She did a lot of paintings um, and her artwork, you know, was very beautiful, you know, as well as her expressiveness. And um, even though she did most of the rapping in TLC, she had an amazing voice. Like, she could really sing her ass off. She was just 
kind of assigned to play the role of, you know, the hip hop. Let me ask you this, dog. Um, I know you had mentioned that you would see Pebbles take advantage of the artist in the face. Like, what was your dealings with her like, Pebbles? Um, pretty much the same way. I mean, the, the two snobbiest people there towards me was, you know, Chili and, you know, Pebbles. I mean, that, that was just kind of the routine. You know, it was kind of a don't talk to me kind of vibe. I never saw her do anything, but, you know, you hear people, you know, bickering and, you know, you'll hear rumors and stuff like that. So it's like I never physically witnessed anybody really doing anything wrong but you know the after effects and the idea of like oh wow you know she was walking around there like you know she was the best thing on the planet and you know then you hear all the stories and the after effects of you know the after you know of how people are getting you know ripped off so you know that was pretty much it's like I really didn't see them too often most of my dealings was you know, with the receptionist that was there. I can't even remember her name. Um, but, I mean, that's who I would come in and that's who would, you know, take down my hours for my course credits and stuff like that. So, did you know. ever see that? Da- What's that? Did you ever see Dallas Austin? No. No, no. I never I never saw him. The only place I, I did see him, there was a, a little club in Atlanta um, called Apache Cafe. And, uh, you know, they have the Mike Knights and, and stuff like that. It was a trip. I've seen him up there and I've seen Kenneth Edmund, but nobody knew it was Kenneth Edmund who came in and killed this thick ass song. Um, but I recognized him and his swag and everything else like that. And kind of when I approached him as he was leaving, he was looking at me like, you know, don't blow my cover. He didn't really want anybody to know it was him. He just wanted to kind of step out, you know, kill a song real quick, you know, as, you know, a no name and just, you know, see, see how people took to his word. So. Um, that was a trip. Um, only as time I ever saw Austin was yeah. Apache Cafe, and then I saw him one time at Dark, his studio in Atlanta when we were building ours. So. As far as uh, Dungeon Family, did you ever get a chance to work with Outcast? Um, no, there was it was a lot of artists that they had a lot of artists that was working with Big One Productions, so I worked with um, Bobby Valentino. Little uh, one of the littles, uh, I can't remember his name, but I guess he was somebody. Soldier Boy had produced for him for a while, so I worked with a couple of those cats. Um, I did get to sit in on like you know two studio sessions. Um, Big Boy was there, Andre wasn't there as much, but you know, he would come in sometimes. Sometimes he had a really cool attitude, sometimes you know, he was just wearing a don't talk to me. Say what's up, yeah, act like he ain't here. But for the most part, you know, the whole vibe was cool. I saw Erica Badu one day. She came in with some of her friends. That was kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, that was that was just pretty much, you know, my experience. You know, Dungeon Family Studios. It wasn't the biggest studio in the world, but um, you know, I learned a lot of good stuff, micing techniques and stuff like that. And that was actually an internship where I was able to get hands on with the equipment. What were some of the mixing or uh, mixing techniques you learned working with the Dungeon Family? Anything you learned in the studio that you take with you to this day? 
Um, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot about compressing. I learned how to use a compressor and how to listen for a compressor in the mix. That was a lot of what I was working with and really understanding, you know, routing on a physical old style mixer with a patch bay, you know, what you're doing with the cross connect cables, stuff like that. So, um, just pretty much stuff like that good miking techniques, you know, how to coach an artist to, you know, stand in front of a mic appropriately, how, you know, to hang the mic, you know, in the room and make sure you're kind of the best positioning for the artist you're working with, learning how to pair an artist with a microphone. Like, uh, this guy's going to use a U87, uh, this guy right here is, is, you know, this chick right here has got a really bright voice, so I'm going to put her, you know, on a blue mic, you know, which has a lot of the highs cut off. You know, someone, if you're doing instruments, you know, so just just different stuff like that that I kind of carry, you know, into my home studio life and real world practices. And I still kind of use to this day. I love it. Yo, man, let me ask you this. What what are your plans? Um, what are some of your goals that you would like to achieve for 2022? Um, I really want to get my book off the ground, you know, finish writing my book, you know, titled The Art of Focus. <clears throat> You know, about, yeah. you know, just understanding, you know, the different energies that we all experience and what it means and what it's about, you know, to get deeper insight to how life works. And um, I really want to kind of start the transition into motivational speaking and kind um, of get my healing clinic off the Or at least start it, you know, get these things started. Um, you know, these are, a lot of these things are on my five-year goal path, but, you know, over my next year, to really get the wheel turning, you know, and started on that stuff. I love it. Um, let me see. What are your thoughts on the on the war going on in Ukraine right now? And the reason why I ask is because, as a as a songwriter, as someone who produces, I wonder if this affects any of your concepts that in your head that you want to write about or sing about or make melodies about what's your thoughts that what's going on in the country not in the country but outside the country and we're, um, we're involved we're, we're directly involved definitely you know but i mean everybody's involved i mean people better get you know pull their head off the ground and realize what's going on with this war and ukraine situation this is less about russia and ukraine and something that you know all the world governments are doing you know to its people you know Everybody, every single world government, every single world leader was on board with this COVID-19 crap. Um, you know, I think people have kind of realized it so far that the farce wasn't that COVID-19 is real. COVID-19 is very real, you know, but the farce was just how dangerous it was and how it was played up and how a lot of our freedoms and liberties were taken away during this process. And I don't think the government and the world leaders are done with their assault on the people. And the world is a state. You know, they, they do these things right now to keep people distracted, where everybody's distracted, you know, about what's going on in Ukraine. Nobody's paying attention to hyperinflation. Nobody's paying attention to, you know, to little localized things like people dying under mysterious circumstances, you know, that were publicly involved in, you know, these movements. Um, you know, nobody's paying attention to this stuff. So, you know, I feel like so much of it is, you know, distractions. And I feel like anything that happens technology-wise, 
you know, whether it's them shutting down the banking systems or, you know, power grid failures or, you know, everything all the way up until, you know, all the way up to nuclear strikes, if that's what they plan on doing. But it's all planned and it's being done to the people, you know, by the world government. And it may seem like everybody's against each other and China's against America and Russia's against China and Russia's against the U.S. and all of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's still these rich people, you know, against everybody else. And these people who want to keep their power and their authoritarianism, you know, against everybody else. So, you know, it's all theater, you know. Yeah, there's really a war going on in Ukraine and people who really care very little about life itself and the young men and women ought to die. But the means, the reasons, and the motivations behind it, you know, is what is fueled by the public lie of what's going on. So, you know, I just hope people keep their heads up and, you know, stay prayed up, moving in the right direction. As a, as a Reiki healer, as a, as a shaman, um, what message are you trying to get across in your book, your upcoming book? Biggest thing is to be your most beautiful self. You know, we've all gotten pulled into situations. Public school was started, you know, to program people, to program people and get them ready for the industrial machine, you know, that we all live in and exist these days. But, you know, all of these systems are failing and falling apart. And people are trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with themselves, their lives and everything else like that. And I was one of them. When I went through that, I had no idea, man. I started drinking real heavy. I mean, I, I remember one day while I was out at Venice Beach, somebody just walked up and put a whole handful of meth in my hand. And I looked at it and I thought about doing it. I was like at a really low point, but you know, instead I just threw it away. You know, just kind of stuck to my alcohol, stuck to my weed. You know, it was like, you know, I'm not gonna mess with any of that. And you know, I was at a real low point because I didn't know how life worked, why things was happening to me the way things was happening to me. You know, so that's the biggest message I'm trying to get out to people. It all starts with, you know, finding something that you're passionate about and doing it and doing it publicly. You know, let people see you do it. Let people see your enjoyment of it because, you know, the more that happens, the better. Wow. Um, let me, growing up, were you raised as a Catholic, Christian? Like, what was the religion that you grew up on or raised under? Oh, man, I bounced around a lot. Um, you know, my mom was, you know, Baptist Christian. So, yeah. um, you know, we grew up in the churches, you know, that's where I learned to play keys, you know, did a lot of singing. I enjoyed choir, but, you know, churches where I'm from were full of scandals, you know, the pastor sleeping with, you know, different people's wives and, you know, the bishop back flipping up the aisles doing service. I mean, it was a circus. It was a show, so it was very difficult you know, to take, you know, that expression of religion seriously. And, uh, you know, then I got into the Nation of Islam for a little while. My youngest son's mom is Muslim, so when we met, I had to take, you know, Shahada. And I converted to Islam briefly, but then, you know, after, you know, dealing with that, just became, religion became something overall that I outgrew. You know, the definition of religion just means to practice of, to practice something religiously. Um, so when I developed my own connection, my own relationship with God, you know, all of that other stuff just kind of became meaningless to me. It's you know, part of the circus. 
Right. Um, do you think, like, the United States, like, our country, what are we, what are we at war with? Because I know we're at war with ourselves. Like, what can we do to improve the society in the United States of America? Because, like, our country, our country ourselves, man, we're at war with so many things, bro. Like, what's your thoughts on the United States of America right now and what we could fix in our society first, you know? <laughs> I mean, the war is this, this war that's being fought is over consciousness. And people don't even yeah. realize what they mean, you know? They think consciousness, they think yeah, it's, it's a way. You know? this, this is definitely a war over consciousness. And, you know, we're assaulted on all fronts, you know, everything from smartphones to media and everything else. Like, I mean, if the people really want to make this, a better place, you know, A, you know, people had to start learning how to let go of their fears. Fears are the invisible bars that keep us locked in this prison. People got to start letting go of their fears and, you know, pull away, pull themselves out of it. You know, don't bury yourselves in your phone, you know, all day long. Yeah, you might have to use social media, you know, as part of your lifestyle, but you don't have to be you know, absorbing, you know, be mindful of, you know, where our attention goes, you know, what are you doing? What are you paying attention to? Is it drama? You know, and get back to a place where we start focusing, you know, on ourselves. You know, people really legitimately need to know how to center themselves and, you know, meditation and stuff like that. A lot of that is the key. Um, and start to take back ourselves from the situation, from the system that you um, you know, and that would be really the only way to change things. I mean, everything is already in the progress of change. Changing is painful. You think, you know, about, you know, a woman's pregnant, pregnant for nine months, and then she faces the most extreme pain she probably knows in her life in the process of giving delivery. But after that delivery and after that birth is done, you got a beautiful baby. And that's pretty much what's happening now. You know, this country, society is in labor, labor pain. And this shit sucks and it hurts, but on the other side of it, it's going to be something beautiful. You know, people just have to learn how to structure and position themselves for that and let go of the fear of this and, you know, bullshit every day. Let's talk about R&B. Uh, who are you feeling as, as far as far as R&B now, 2022? Who are the new artists that, that's inspiring you? Me. Ha, 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 ha. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, there's, there's a couple of people that I listen to. Um, uh, I like her. And Sir uh, is pretty dope. You know, I like artists that are multi-instrumentalists and hard on all fronts, because, you know, that's how I am. You know, sing, rap, write, you know, play several different instruments, produce, you know, so people that's kind of like, and, you know, in that situation, it's kind of got to try to like my people that produce their own stuff, make their own music, you know, play an instrument, you know, sing, rap, you know, that's just kind of on top of it, you know, like that. It's kind of, because that's kind of where I'm at with them up. So, anything less is cool, but it's just like, you know, all right. All right, let's talk about R&B from the back in the days. Let, let's see who you prefer. All right, Bobby Brown or, or Chris Brown? Bobby Brown neither. I'm, I'm more of an R. Kelly fan. You know, people want to go in and, and, and talk about him, but I mean, Chris Brown, 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. You, you're kids, you know. I guess I guess it's true. But um, and then Bobby Brown. Yeah, no, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> neither All right. one of the points. One, <laughs> one twelve or Jagged Edge? Uh, I might have to say one twelve. Nice, nice. I was a one twelve fan. Um, Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye? Oh man, Stevie Wonder is my all-time idol. Uh, Ribbon so, in the Sky was one of the first songs I learned how to play on the keys. Michael. Jackson or Prince? Um, Michael Jackson in my earlier years because I loved the complexity of the harmonies and stuff like that he did in his songs. But um, you know, in you know my later years, um, I developed you know more of a, a liking for Prince because I liked the fact that he was a multi instrumentalist, you know, and I liked his methodology. You know, Prince only played guitar for Prince. Prince only learned how to play bass for Prince. Prince learned how to make beats for Prince. You know, that was a dope. He helped some other artists out. He produced some other stuff for artists, but, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't like bouncing around every place. You know, he was doing, I really kind of, you know, does that. So, earlier years, Michael, later years, sticking Prince. TLC or Destiny's Child? Oh, shit. Definitely TLC, just because, you know, I had such a love for Left Eye. And um, you know, she was pretty cool. I loved her voice. Um, Destiny's Child just got on my nerves. Um, top two songs or top three songs from Voice to Man. What's top, top three, three songs, of course. How do I say that? Uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Yeah, um, you know, because that, that was a classic one, man. We used to sing that, and then. Um, you know, I make love to you because you know that got me more. That got me more drawn, ladies. You know, <laughs> water runs dry was another oh, one. Oh, that's a classic. That's a classic. Yeah. I personally love Unbending Me. Now that's some grown, grown up R&B right there. Um, yeah. What is the future of the music industry? You think technology is going to help us? Or you think technology is going to leave this shit more diluted and and, and cluttered? Like, what's the future of the music industry? You think, like, how is how are we going to move post pandemic, post war? You know, you think the music industry will be affected in any way as the years go? Yeah, I think the music industry, like all industrialized processes, is is bound for failure. Music mm. itself, you know, is is never going to stop. You know, that's 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 one thing. A lot of these artists that you know are in the studio recording song after song after song have to start getting out and you know performing. It's important to be seen, um, you know, to be heard, to get out there. Nobody could stand in between you and your audience. And the more true artists start to figure that out, you know, the music industry is going to get better. Plus, it's not going to get diluted because there's more people now that's doing it all. You know, there's, there's a lot of artists out there that is on, on top of, like, all of their stuff, you know? And, I mean, that's really a game changer. It's really amazing to sit back and watch, you know, somebody in the course of a single song, you know, go between multiple instruments, you know, sing some of the sexiest, sultriest lyrics that you've ever heard and drop a sick-ass verse. 
you know, so there's a lot of artists out there that's really stepping their game up, you know, and label-wise, the labels are still trying to categorize people into groups, like, no, you're a rapper, you just rap. You're a singer, you just sing. You're a guitar player, you just play guitar. You know, artists aren't really having that anymore. And, you know, yeah, with social media and being able to get out there do viral videos and stuff like that, you know, that's going to be a big game changer because it's going to force people to up their game. Sadly enough, there's still a lot of artists out here rapping over their own lyrics and their songs, basically, you know, doing over-glorified karaoke. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's important. It's important to be on top of yourself, you know, before you leave your studio session, you need to have you a performance track to get up on stage. A lot of these artists skip into the studio recorded and they can't even get their beat you know you ask them to get a beat for the show and they can't even get they looking at you sideways like i'm gonna have to get in contact with my producer it's like no you need to already have that stuff ready and know to ask for it because you know this this ain't karaoke you know this is <laughs> it's about putting your music out there especially if you're a lyricist that's the only skill you got i mean you might as well have some ghost writing for you if you're gonna be sitting rapping over your own stuff that is the corniest lamest thing i've ever seen in my life and a lot of <laughs> artists are out there doing it like sitting up there literally trying to out rap themselves on their own track and be messing up their lyrics at the same damn time like how you messing it up party on the track but you know, that's just me. You know, I just got to step their game up. And that's why I have such respect for artists that do play instruments, that do sing, that do rap, that is on top of their production because they handle all of that. You know, they never caught sideways in the situation. Amen. Amen. It's all about professionalism and staying prepared. If you stay prepared, you ain't got to get prepared, you know? Exactly. Um, let me ask you this, dog. Uh, I know you wear a lot of hats. You wear a lot of hats, you know? Uh, studio engineer, songwriter, live performer, uh, uh, an author, a healer. What do you enjoy the most? All of them. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I feel you were coming from with your statement with wearing a lot of hats, but, you know, I got a handful of dreads. I really don't wear hats. Each one of those <laughs> positions is like one of my locks. You know, I can't say which dreadlock I prefer better. You know, it's just all part of who I am. They're my locks, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Ain't no hats here because I'm never switching between who I am. You know, I, I just, you know, that's just me. Amen. So, yeah, um, I mean, I prefer, I love it all. You know, I just, I zone out, you know. And, you know, the bird go away. I do feel like in life we go through our trials and tribulations, you know. Uh, we go through our ups and downs. As I remember uh, Bob Dylan once said, you know, artists, we go through this thing called transfiguration. And the interviewer asked him, what is that? And it's like, it's about artists going through whatever they go through. You come out of that better. You know, you, we survive what we go through and, and we, we remain an artist. Um, let me ask you this, dog, like, Marriage and fatherhood. What ha what are some of the things you've you've learned about them? Um, what, what has marriage and fatherhood taught you? It's just, it's it's weird. The hardest lesson that I learned with fatherhood is attachment. Um, you know the reason why I was even homeless as long as I was out of Venice Beach is because I ain't even gonna lie, I was depressed. I miss my kids. 
you know, having kids, having my children, you know, they were the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. That's like, you know, the realest form of love. And I was really in, involved father, you know, before my ex-wife manipulated the system to keep me from being that, you know, which is now coming back to bite her in the ass. Um, you know, it's just, it's the, the most important thing that I learned is, you know, know who you with. You know, I really thought I knew my ex-wife, but I found out I didn't know my ex-wife. And uh, it went sideways, you know, someone who you know, was my best friend and greatest ally became, you know, my greatest enemy. Um, Fuck, but, that sucks. You know, and becoming your greatest enemy, you know, she became learning and motivation, you know, because the best revenge in any situation is success. Right. You know, and I mean, there's going to be a point where she's looking at me and where I'm at and what I'm doing is she's going to feel real stupid. You know, I already feel like she's half feeling that way now, you know, with the situations that she happened to go through, you know, you know, with the, the kids and then being teenagers and, and growing into adults and everything else like that. So, you know, that's, that's just the most valuable thing, you know, know who you with, you know, don't ever feel pressured into marrying somebody you know, the biggest reason why we ended up getting married is because she got pregnant. You know, and I was I was in that stage of, oh, you know, I need to I need to do the right thing. Um, there ain't no such thing as the right thing. You know, whether it's marriage, whether it's being a parent, there's no manual to this shit. I mean, you know, you're just all kind of figuring it out. And at the end of the day, you have to make the best move, you know, that's going to keep you in the situation to allow you to be the best parent. No, mm. so you know that's 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 my takeaway from that. What can we expect from Amethyst as far as like an official EP or album release? What can we expect from you putting something out out there digitally? Um, I'm gonna have a lot of digital work done, but it's going to start from the street musician side. I'm a street musician first. Um, you know, I'm in the process of going through some gear upgrades and getting ready to get the uh, new RC505 MK2. Um, I've been doing a lot of like my live looping on the MK1. Right now, I'm just using a single track looper on my guitar pedal. So I'm mostly just playing guitar right now. But, you know, I'm under construction and I'm going to do my music in volumes. Um, I've gotten so good at my recording techniques that I can record my live work and have it sounding CD and studio quality. So, you know, as I get out there, I'm going to be putting out video series. I'll be doing pop-up shows, you know, pulling up and creating a piece of music in a location live right there on the spot. And Where? as the projects grow, you know, as I do stuff, you know, every, every five songs, every 12 songs, I'm going to release an EP or an album and do them as volumes. Nice. Yo, man, where can, for all those tuning in in San Diego right now, living in San Diego, where can people, where can people catch you play out here? Um, every Sunday between 12 and 2, um, I play at Not Dog. Um, downtown is a vegan hot dog spot. They got really good food. And, um, you know, so I play the brunch there. And um, any other time, you can either find me down at Little Italy or out of Pacific Beach. Nice. Man, yo, Amethyst, this has been a pleasure talking to you, bro. It's one of the most... I, I really enjoyed this interview. I was really touched by your story, man. Like, 
I, I love interviewing my survivors has been through some shit and, and still creating though still creating and still performing man it says a lot about your character bro I'm proud of you man I'm proud of you keep keep up the good work man appreciate you brother man whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger yo man uh for all those uh tuning in right now I will definitely plug in his uh IG on the uh on the episode description and I want to give a shout to Amanda and everybody under I Am Management. A lot of talented artists in her roster, including Amethyst. And uh, I want to give you guys props, man, keeping the music scene alive and keeping like that real, genuine, authentic music from the heart, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm exclusively uh, producing for work. It's uh, Wind and Earth. Um, it's my, my sister and my brother, Rain and Thrive. So, you know, make sure you right. check their stuff. They're definitely under Iron Management. You know, they're doing some great things. And, uh, you know, I look forward to all the new stuff I'm producing for them. So, check them out. Thank you to everybody uh, tuning in. And, um, yo, Amethyst, I'm going to hit you back right now on the tech, all right? Thank you so much what for up? joining me, bro. I appreciate you. you. All right, yo, brother, one man. love. MD Podcast, we did it. Peace, peace.